Amateur Traveler, episode 777. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about palaces and museums and beer, Olympics and castles and more beer as we go to Munich, Germany. Welcome to the Amateur Traveler. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. Let's talk about Munich. I'd like to welcome back to the show Dan from the Zipping Around the World podcast at zippingaroundtheworld.com. Dan has been on before talking about Samos, Greece, and this time we're talking about Munich. Dan, welcome back to Amateur Traveler. Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate it. And Munich, southern Germany, Bavaria. Is there anything else we need to do to put that on a map yes. for people? Or I, th- I think most people who listen to this show can find Germany. It's a little less challenging than some of the places we talk about. They can probably find Germany. They probably know about Munich. I've got a little bit of background here that might be interesting to people. Well, why don't we jump into what's your connection with Munich? Yeah, so I'm a traveler. I've been to Munich three times, and I was recently there, which is why I'm on the show. But I was there in the, the 90s, and then I was there for specifically for Oktoberfest. And then I just found a very good flight to Munich. And I couldn't pass it up. So that's my connection to Munich. Excellent. And why should someone go to Munich? Well, Germany in general is just a fantastic country. When you get to Munich, you're near the German Alps. Mm-hmm. And Germany has so much to offer. It's You can get around everywhere. I was there for over a week, and I never had to rent a car, just use public transportation the entire time. I personally am also a homebrewer, so... The beer scene is super awesome in Munich and, in fact, in all of Germany, and that's another big magnet for me, and we might talk a little bit about that throughout this podcast. Excellent. Well, and I have not been to Munich. I've been all over Germany, and it is one of the easiest cities to fly into. It's one of the three major airports in Germany, Berlin, Frankfurt, and Munich have the most flight connections, and I've been all around it, but I haven't been there, so I am looking forward to this episode. Where are you going to start? Yeah. yeah, well, the whole episode, we're going to do just five days in Munich. Like I said, I've, I've been all around. I've already been to the King's Castles. I've been to Birch's Garden and my other prior trips, but I've never just spent a lot of time in Munich. So that was my goal, and that's what I want to talk about uh, in this podcast. And you say the King's Castles. You're talking about Fusen and Mad King Ludwig's Neuschwanstein and Hohenschwangau. That is correct, and I was going to let you say that, not me. <laughs> Who knows if I got it close, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will butcher some German words here. I, I've just listened to the episode that's coming out this week and thought, why did I say that? It was, it was Spanish words that I'm normally better at, but when you're switching each week, you're talking about a different language, sometimes the brain misfires. Absolutely. Yeah, so Munich. It was founded in 1858 by some monks. And that's why it's called in German München, which mm-hmm. I believe is the word for monks. So Munich founded mm-hmm. by monks. And I think they lived there happily until Henry the Lion really put Munich on the map because the monks were trading in a little bit of that day's gold, which was salt. So the salt trade was already passing through Munich and Henry the Lion wanted to get in on that trade. So he built a fortress and a bridge over the river to control the salt trade. 
And that started the city of Munich. And I need to go back a little bit. You said it was founded when? In 1158. Okay, I heard that wrong. I heard uh, 1858, and I thought, not till then. Okay, yes, much older than <laughs> I, I thought. That doesn't yes, sound right yes. at all. Got it. <laughs> and then the Wittelsbach family mm-hmm. ruled Munich for about 700 years, and by the 1500s, Munich basically had a thriving salt and beer trade, and we're already back to beer. <laughs> <laughs> which is what most people know Munich for, so that seems fair enough. That's correct. As a matter of fact, they do have six breweries that people should be aware of. Hockershore, Planer, Augustiner, Hofbrau, Spaten, and Lohenbrau. Those are the six big breweries that people should know about in Munich. Okay. But Chris, let's start day one. This is kind of how I did my trip, so you're going to hear a little bit about kind of how I set it up. Day one, the best thing to do, the easiest thing to do is just go to the old town of Munich and do an old town walk. And I got some highlights here to hit for us. But the place to start is in Marienplatz. So that is the central square. And that is where really it's the happening spot of town. It's full of tourists. It's full of locals. There's a major subway connection there, U-Bahn and S-Bahn connection. So it's also a rail hub. And we've talked about this before. U-Bahn is under the city, so the subway, and S-Bahn, Strassebahn, so above the city, so trams and subways. Correct. And besides people watching in Marienplatz, what are we going to do there? Yeah, so in Marienplatz, when you get out of the subway or the metro, you come out of the subway to the new town hall, and also the old town hall is there as well, and it's a very large square. That's Platz, mm-hmm. and the new town hall is actually built in a medieval style, but it was in the late 1800s, and it has the Glockenspiel in it. It is a 280-foot spire, and that really has the ambiance and gives the impression of the old city in downtown Munich. People are watching that glockenspiel. It goes off three times a day and does. Please glock. Re-enca- <laughs> yeah, it, it reencounts a wedding ceremony. Okay. From an old noble family. Well, and I I was joking a little bit with plays glocken, but a glockenspiel literally means. Bells and play is the two words that we're putting together there. Glocken is the word for for bells, or at least that particular type of bells we'd find in a glockenspiel. There you go. And also, again, the spire is 280 feet. You can go up in an elevator and get an excellent view of the city in the spires. So that's something you can do as well. The old town hall looks brand new, actually, when you look at it, and it actually is pretty new as it was flattened in World War II due to the Allied bombing. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Chris, most of the old city of Munich was flattened by bombs. Not much remained after the Allied bombings. The Germans were proactive enough. They took lots and lots of pictures of the old city. Mm -hmm. So they did rebuild it back to the standard that it was before the Allied bombs flattened it. Yeah, there was basically some animosity towards Munich since that was where a lot of the rise of Hitler had happened. So there wasn't a lot spared <laughs> when it came to bombing Munich. Correct, especially the downtown area. Mm-hmm. Now, 
Let me take you down some of the things that are of interest to go walk in and walk around. Let's start at St. Peter's Church. It's just right off of Marienplatz, very easy to find, right around the corner. It is the oldest church in town, and it dates back from 1368, so it's been there a little while. It also has a very tall steeple, about 300 feet, and for a fee, you can walk up 300 steps to get a great view of downtown Munich. So I would say pick your poison. Do you want to ride in an elevator or do you want to walk up <laughs> some steps? They're about the same price. So I'll leave that up to the individual and how much exercise they want to get. One interesting thing about Munich in general is that it, it has the most relics of saints more than any other city outside of Rome. Hmm. And that is because it was the outpost for the Vatican during the Reformation with Martin Luther. So this was a Catholic stronghold. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, Bavaria and Munich is very Catholic. Yeah, historically, if you look at Germany, southern Germany, and then also along the Rhineland, tends to be where you'd find the good festivals for... For carnival? Yeah, that's where you find the big carnivals, for instance, because that's the heavily German area, traditionally at least. So the next stop would be, and this is going to be a word that's hard to say, Victulian Market. Mm -hmm. And that is a very busy open-air market that is just around the corner from St. Peter's Church. And there's lots of restaurants that surround it as well. There's about 140 stalls there with everything from, I saw, dried mushrooms to produce to cheese to meat to flowers, just everything. And it's in some of the most expensive real estate in Munich itself, but hmm. the townspeople have wanted it there and is basically protected. Hmm. And that's the, I mean, basically the word itself says that it's, we have a word in English that is victuals. We don't use it that much, except I don't think the C is pronounced, but edible things. So it's an edible market. It's there in the name. It's just that we don't use that English word very often. So it doesn't sound obvious. Yes, I, I agree. <laughs> also, there is a beer garden in the middle of this market, and that's, in my opinion, the most important thing, and I did sit and enjoy <laughs> a lunch and a beer in that beer garden. Very busy, but it does have a nice public bathroom for you, should you need it. Well, and you say beer garden, and we've talked a little bit, of, we've hinted a little bit about beers. If I am going to Munich and drinking beers, traditionally, I'd be having something closer to, I want to say to a Pilsner. Is that what I would expect there? And then how has that changed recently? Yeah. So you could expect a Pilsner. A lot of it is what they call Munich Hellas, which is even a little bit of a lighter beer. Okay. When you're drinking it by the liter or the half liter, <laughs> these beers aren't super alcoholic. It's not an American IPA that would put right. you on your back after a liter. There's also Munich Dunkel. So that's their dark beer. So you could say Dunkel or Pills, and they would know exactly what to bring you. You could say Hellas, and they would also know exactly what to bring you. They also serve Vice beer, which is wheat beer. Mm -hmm. Those are about your four biggest selections. Okay. So I can get my Vice beer with my Vice first. Absolutely. Okay. And now is that changing? Some of the places are starting no, to introduce no. more IPAs and things like that. But no, it's still the traditional German beers. Yeah, I found Germany to be very traditional in their beer drinking. Okay. I did not see any IPAs when I was there for those for that week. Okay. 
So next stop on our trip is the Asham Church. This is a tiny Catholic church. It's only 30 foot wide. <laughs> Think about it like a row house. So it's very deep, but mm-hmm. only 30 foot wide. It was built in 1740. And it was actually used as kind of an advertisement for the work of the Asham brothers. They lived next door and it was their church. And it is maxed out with all the bells and whistles that you'd want in any cathedral. So it's just jam-packed full of angels and decorations and stuff like that. And it was kind of like a model home for churches, if you will. (laughs) It is in the Baroque style. Okay. And let me give you the definition of Baroque because I looked it up because everything in kind of the Munich area is is Baroque. So Mm -hmm. Baroque is a style that uses contrast, movement, exuberant detail, deep color, grandeur, and surprise to achieve a sense of awe. And interestingly enough, it was actually encouraged by the Catholic Church as a means to counter the simplicity and austerity of the Protestant architecture and the Protestant movement. Oh, absolutely. Of yeah. that time. 1600s, and it's definitely counter-reformational. I would say my definition of broke is there's no such thing as too much. <laughs> well, this— <laughs> church is that definition. Absolutely. Yep. So also one other thing that's interesting in this church is the roof is actually flat, but the way they painted it gives it an optical illusion that Mm -hmm. it's a dome. So that's pretty fascinating. I've seen that one or two other places. It's fascinating to see it. Of course, if you stand in the wrong place, it's very disorienting. It's made to basically (laughs) be that view, usually from the back of the church. So if you stand at the front of the church and look the other way, it can be very strange. Interesting. Chris, our next stop is another church, really probably the most iconic church in Old Town Munich, and that is the Frauenkirk. And that is the church with the two big onion domes on the steeples. This church was built between 1466 and 1488. That was 22 years. And most churches back then took a long time to build. So the reason it was built so fast is they used bricks instead of stone. So brick construction, much faster to build. And unfortunately, this church was also bombed pretty heavily during World War II, but the steeples were not damaged. So those are original. And one more interesting fact about this church was Pope Benedict XVI. He was the local cardinal at this church. Hmm. I did not know that. Okay. And that's the one with the devil's footstep in the church? A black mark? Yes, that is part of its aura. (laughs) Traditionally, where the devil stood to uh, make a deal with the builder to finance construction of the church. That is what I've heard. All right, next stop, the Hofbrau House. And I think most people probably have heard of this. I hope they have. If they've heard anything about Germany, this is the most famous beer hall in Munich. Mm -hmm. Originally built in 1589 by Maximilian I, but... At that point in time, it was only for nobility. Huh. The general public was admitted to the, yeah, the king's beer. It was the king's beer. So the general public was only admitted in 1828 by Ludwig I. So I'm sure he was trying to make the general public happy. Hmm. The building was remodeled in 1897, so 120 years ago. A lot of the surrounding rooms were also destroyed in World War II, but the beer hall itself was not. I did sit there one night, Chris. It is the most hopping place in town that I saw, kind of night in and night out. One night I couldn't even get in. Well, I got in, but there was no place to sit, so I, I left. <laughs> Another night I got there a little bit earlier and, and got to sit until the reservation started happening. So you need to get there early or you need to learn how to put in a reservation into a German restaurant. 
I did not try that or figure that out. Well, and when you say you did that, you were there one of the three trips during Oktoberfest. I'm assuming this is the trip when it wasn't Oktoberfest that you still couldn't get in. This was this trip. Nope, this was okay. this trip. Mm-hmm. Actually, during Oktoberfest, we did get in. So okay. I think everybody was at Oktoberfest. <laughs> Interesting. It is a very busy place, both with Germans and absolutely with tourists. It has a band every night. It's where you go to meet people. Okay. This week's episode is sponsored by World Nomads, who sell travel insurance. When I went on the amateur traveler trip to Morocco and forgot to get travel insurance ahead of time, which was required, I knew what to do. I quickly got online and went to worldnomads.com. It's a brand I know and a brand I trust. World Nomads and their passionate team of global citizens have been in business since 2002, protecting, connecting, and inspiring our travel communities. They cover travel to over 100 countries with medical and evacuation coverage, 24-7 emergency assistance. Whether you're scuba diving, mountain biking, surfing, trekking, or skiing, they've got a policy for you. All World Nomads policies include cover for cancellation, emergency, medical expense, and baggage. When you buy travel insurance with New World Nomads, you can choose to add a small donation to your policy price and help fund a community development project. Benefits, conditions, and exclusions apply. Read your policy wording carefully. To learn more, go to get a quote for travel insurance at worldnomads.com. It's what I did. And thanks to World Nomads for sponsoring this episode of Amateur Traveler. The last item on my list here, and of course there's more things in the downtown area to see, is the Royal Residence. It's a little bit north of this downtown area. It is the biggest inner city palace in Germany. From 1508 to 1918, it served as seat of the residence and government of the Bavarian rulers. There's a treasury that you can visit as well. It's the crown and the jewels of the last 10 centuries of the rulers, the Bavarian rulers. It's interesting, in the episode that we did way back in 559, when I was in Baden-Württemberg, I saw the second largest palace in Germany, It was another Wittelsbach Palace, so I didn't realize that they had number one and number two. (laughs) So, Right, and unfortunately, this palace was rebuilt after World War II as well. Fortunately, it was rebuilt. (laughs) Unfortunately, it needed to be, yeah. Yeah, correct. So quite the theme for the old city of Munich, but it's rebuilt in a way that if you weren't listening to this podcast and you went there, you'd go, oh, this stuff's great. It's old. I mean, it it looks really good, really, really done nice. Okay, so so that's kind of day one. Good when you get off the plane, and then the next day you're kind of walking around, keeping yourself moving. Day two, Chris, I would say let's go to the BMW Museum and to Olympic Park. So the good thing about that is they are located essentially on the same metro stop, so it's easy to get to both, and you can spend a lot of your day there. So I, in fact, did this. I went to the BMW Museum and toured it. And I really thought, Chris, that I would see some newer cars. But you know what it is? It's the museum kind of of the history of BMW. Hmm. So cars and motorcycles. And one exhibit I did find interesting is they had a an exhibit on forced labor that they used during World War II. Hmm. And they were trying to be, I'd say, very open and in front of what they did during that time. And it was well done. And I sat there and, and read several of the, the articles around that. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And it was a nice museum to walk around if you're a big BMW fan and and you're into some of their older classic cars. Okay. 
Then, Chris, across the street is another BMW museum, but it's not really a museum. It's a building. It's called BMW Welt, W-E-L-T. And actually, it's not Welt. It's Welt because mm -hmm. W is a V in German. Welt means world. So BMW World. And this is actually free. And this is where the new cars are. Oh, <laughs> so okay. if you want to see the new <laughs> BMWs, they're there. BMW now owns Mini Cooper and Rolls-Royce. So there's a, a Rolls-Royce section. There's a Mini Cooper section. There's also some new motorcycles and such. There's a, a little snack bar. And actually, there was a place to eat in the other museum as well. But very nicely done, real modern, nice appeal, and really cool cars to look at if you're into BMWs and the Mini Coopers. And who's not into a Rolls-Royce every now and then? <laughs> Well, I'm not in a Rolls Royce now and then, but I could be no, into no. a Rolls Royce. Exactly. One other thing around BMW is they actually give tours of the factory. So mm -hmm. the factory is here as well, and you got to sign up for that days, if not weeks, in advance. Oh, really? The day I was there was, I believe, on a Thursday or Friday, and the next available tour was on a Monday or Tuesday. So I I actually think that would have been very interesting. Yeah, I've done factory tours at auto plants, at the Corvette plant in Kentucky, and at the Ford pickup truck in Michigan in uh, Detroit area. And they're fascinating, especially a modern factory oh, with yeah. all, all the robots. robots and all the automation. It's just very interesting. And those are obviously very different markets for those two. And I certainly wouldn't be in the market, I think, for <laughs> either one. I really recommend if you haven't done a factory tour of an auto plant, it's very interesting. Yeah, I was lucky enough my first trip to Germany long time ago, Chris, I went to an Opel car manufacturing mm -hmm. plant in Northwest Germany. And it was absolutely fascinating at the time. The one thing they wouldn't let you in was where they painted the cars because that was a complete clean room and no dust allowed. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, if you do better planning than I did, then perhaps you could get a factory tour as well, which I think would have been just fascinating, as you mentioned. From there, Chris, you can walk right over to the Olympic Park. It's just right across the highway, and they have a crosswalk for you. And this is a place, Chris, if people are taking their kids on their vacation with them, a good place for the kids. I saw a putt-putt golf area, a place called the Sea Life Aquarium, a trampoline park, and then really the whole Olympic Park now is a true park. There's a big pond. Kids could run around. So that was one of my first impressions when I walked in. And of course, there's all the buildings of ice skating and soccer stadium and stuff like that, those kind of buildings as well. Uh, there's a couple of things, I think, Chris, in the Olympic Park that are really interesting to tourists, and that is there's an Olympic Tower, mm -hmm. 995 feet, so it gets you up there a little bit, and you can go to the top and get great views of the entire city. Now, this area is north of the city. You'll have okay. to turn around and look south. I did that, and just fascinating views of there. You can see their their main soccer stadium. You can see downtown. You can see the German Alps. Really great views. Of course, there's a small fee to get up the elevator, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. There's also a restaurant up there as well, so you could have lunch or dinner. And they do have a little small rock and roll display, a little bit of stuff about the Beatles and a couple other things. So that was kind of interesting to look at. Now, one thing that I did not do, but you certainly can, is they offer tours to the Olympic Stadium. Okay. So that's just right in this same area. 
And if you're so brave, they also have a roof climb of the stadium. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if 995 feet doesn't make you queasy, then maybe climbing on a roof of the stadium doesn't make you queasy either. So a couple things to do there. Well, and if people don't remember the Munich games, then you're just young. <laughs> the Munich yeah, games were in 72. Right. So it's quite possible they were before a lot of our listeners were alive. Not all of the listeners. Some are my age, but... That's correct, and that's where they had a terror attack. Yes, unfortunately. On some Israeli athletes, and there's actually, I didn't go there, uh, and across kind of to the north of there, there's where the Olympic Village was, and mm -hmm. there's a memorial to them in this Olympic Village. Hmm. Okay, so if that hasn't burned up enough of your day, Chris, and you have an <laughs> appetite, for, and you have an appetite for art, you could go to the Alt Pentecostic Art Museum. And Chris, I certainly hope I said that halfway correct, <laughs> but I very seriously doubt it. It's an impressive building that houses about 700 paintings from the 14th through 18th century. So it is not their modern art museum. You get an entire view of the European paintings of the time. So they have artists in there like Da Vinci and Botticelli and Rubens, just to name a few. And of course, they have rotating exhibits and and that museum is open till six daily or even better 8 p.m on tuesday so maybe it's your tuesday stop for your trip got it moving on to what i would say is day three this is something that i had never done when i was in munich because again i was just either downtown or at oktoberfest the nymphenburg palace is about three miles outside of downtown, but now it's in downtown <laughs> mm -hmm. because the growth of the city. And this palace was commissioned in 1664, and it was expanded in 1701 by Max Emanuel. And it was a summer residence. So we had we talked about the inner city residence, and this was the summer residence. Had to get away from from all the people and go three miles outside of the city. Chris, they actually call it Schloss Nymphenburg, which Schloss is castle. castle. But mm -hmm. let me tell you, it's a palace and not a castle as you and I would think of it. It's <laughs> very similar to Versailles. Okay. So you can tour it. And in fact, I did that. So it's, it doesn't take too long to tour it. You come into a grand hall. And then on one side is the king's apartments. And then on the other side is the queen's apartments. To me, Chris, the most interesting room, there's one of the queen's room. It's uh, adorned in green. And this was where Mad King Ludwig was born. Oh, okay. So I thought that was interesting. Ludwig II. Ludwig II. That is correct. The son of the one who made the beer hall accessible. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, you are correct. And then it's just, it's a huge park. Matter of fact, the park is about 1.8 square kilometers. So lots and lots of greenery. So Max Emanuel, he had French designers model the actual park. So we have the building, we have the palace, and then we have the gardens. And so he had those modeled after Versailles in France. And I would always say uh, copycatting is, is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs> so you can tell that Versailles had a pretty big impression on these Bavarian kings. This week's episode is sponsored by Away, the makers of fine suitcases. I'm already out there on the road, and this is the bag that I'm going to take on my next trip. My Away bag does have a TSA-approved combination lock to keep those Christmas presents safe. Or maybe the Away bag itself is the correct Christmas present for your mom, your dad, your loved ones, people who are getting ready to travel and get out there. 
They've got a number of different shapes and sizes, locks that work, 360 spinner wheels, modern materials, compression pads that help you pack more than you'll ever use, laundry bags to keep things tidy. All the way thinks about is travel. All anybody is thinking about is travel. I'm all about traveling light, so I'm rocking the Away carry-on, but they have a number of different bags depending on your travel style. So think about giving the gift of travel with an Away suitcase this holiday. Explore Away's full range of all things travel and start your 100-day trial by going to awaytravel.com traveler. That's awaytravel.com traveler and give the gift that's on everyone's mind. There's also gondola rides in the summer in the Central Canal, hmm. and that is behind the palace. Excellent. One thing you talked about before, you talked about the Alt Pinacotec. Mm-hmm. Pinacotec, I think it'd probably be the German pronunciation. I didn't know that word, and I was wondering why. So old, I knew. Alt is old. Yep. And yep. the reason why it's the Alt Pinacotec is there's also the Neue, the new, and then there's also the modern, and that it's coming from a Greek word for a picture gallery. Didn't seem like a very German word, but I just wasn't sure about it. So it's just the old gallery, the new gallery, and the modern gallery. And the old, I wondered if it was older in terms of the building or in terms of the collection. And the answer is yes, (laughs) both. It's the oldest building and the oldest collection. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense that it's a Greek word versus a German word. (laughs) Yep. So Chris, there are other things on the palace grounds. There is actually the Museum of Carriages and Sleighs. It is in the former riding stables of the palace, and it spans more than three centuries of carriages Hmm. from the royals. A lot of the carriages are from King Ludwig II around 1880. Well, and he was very much into, uh, not Baroque at that time, because he was the 1800s. He was a constitutional monarch who fancied himself a monarch from an earlier age, and so he was very much into uh, ornate Yes, and we could tell that by his castle. Yeah. (laughs) New Gothic? I'm trying to remember what the style of that time was, but it was basically a lot of the art, Wagner and things like that, was also going back to an older age. Right, right. And Chris, there's also a porcelain museum, because if you are a king in Bavaria in the 1600s, 1700s, you need people making porcelain for you. So there is their private collection, and they, in fact, were very big into making porcelain and developed that in that area. Interesting. And beside the palace, there's actually Munich's Botanical Gardens, and you can walk from the palace to the back entrance of the Botanical Gardens. And if it's in the summer during high peak season, there's a gate there that is manned and lets you in. So, Chris, after walking around this very large palace and the grounds, it's probably time to go to a beer garden, and quench your thirst. So very close to this palace is the Hirsch Garden. And Hirsch is a German word for deer, so it's the deer garden. Hmm. So it's a very large park, and it actually has Europe's largest beer garden in it, seating 8,000 people. Hmm. And I, in fact, did go there because I was curious of this place. It's about a 10 to 15-minute walk from really any mass transit system, whether you're on a tram or the S-Bahn. And it also has an excellent restaurant there as well. So I would recommend if you're in the area, that's a good place to stop by and a nice park to stroll through. Okay. Why does it not surprise me that the largest beer garden, (laughs) as well as the best known beer garden in Germany, are going to be in Munich? 
Correct. A little bit more fact about the Hearst Garden. It was actually a hunting ground for the nobles, so it was close to the palace. Mm -hmm. So that's why the park is quite large. And right beside it, there are, in fact, deer. So, of course, they're fenced in, but that is right beside the beer garden as well. So enjoy the deer running around as you're drinking your beer. Okay. All right. So I would say the next day, let's go out a little further. Let's go to another palace that looks very similar to Nymphenburg Palace, Schlesenheim Palace. And that is right by the Deutsches Museum of, I'm going to say aircraft, Flugenwurf, Flugenwurf, (laughs) which I think is aircraft or airplanes or something like that. I'm used to Flugzeug, but okay. That's probably a couple different words for it. Yep. So Duchess Museum of Aircraft. So let's start at the palace. So it was built in between 1617 and 1623 under Maximilian I. And before its destruction in World War II, palace is one of the most important examples of early Baroque architecture in Bavaria. It was reconstructed in 1970. And actually, this is the old palace that I'm speaking of. And there is a new palace across the garden from it. So the new palace, it is the one that's very close and similar to Nymphenburg Palace. Got it. And it was built by Max Emanuel, and he was hoping to become emperor and built this new palace with the dimensions of the palaces of Vienna, which would be the Schomburg Palace, and Versailles. Hmm. And he built that in 1701. Construction was interrupted for a bit because I think he was exiled to France. And it was finished in 1726. This palace also has a very large French garden in it as well. So it's very similar to the Nymphenburg Palace. If you love the Nymphenburg Palace, you should come here. And if you have seen enough after the Nymphenburg Palace, (laughs) you could probably do something else this day. But right next door within a five to ten minute walk is this German aircraft museum. And... I will say, Chris, when I walked in at first into the first of three hangars, I had wondered why I'd worked so hard to get to the museum. Hmm. <laughs> not, I was not very impressed by the first hangar. just had some kind of small aircraft in it, Cessna or something like that. But it did have one interesting plane. It had a World War I biplane called the, the Fulker, mm-hmm. and that was the German aircraft for World War I about 760 of them were built in the war. It was kind of their workhorse. And it was actually the only plane explicitly mentioned in the armistice agreement that every plane of that type had to be turned over to the Allies. So Hmm. pretty good technology back in the day. The second hangar in this museum is really for restoration. And they were actually restoring a wooden frame plane that day. So I don't know how long it had been in there. I'm sure it took months and months to do this kind of restoration work. But when I got to the third hangar, that's where all the good stuff was. (laughs) It made the trip worthwhile for me. You got to be a fan of of aircraft and aviation. There were a lot of cutaways of jet engines. And if you're ever curious as to what a jet engine looks like, this is the place for you. There, There were several jet engines that you could really get a good look at from the compressor section to the combustion section to the turbine section. And then they just had some really interesting aircraft. They had a couple of prototypes. This one airplane actually had 10 jet engines on it. Oh, my. Yeah. It had two for for normal flight and thrust. This was a vertical takeoff 
jet. So again, prototype, not a lot of vertical takeoff jets. And it had four engines on either wing and a very large cowling. And my guess was or is that it was not very successful. Hmm. Well, and I see they do have in their collection, for those who are aircraft fans, a Messerschmitt uh, ME-262, and that's the world's first jet-powered fighter aircraft, a late World War II aircraft. And uh, fortunately for the Allies, they didn't develop it until late and didn't have the resources to build that many because it was, well, far superior in terms of technology to anything the Allies had at the time. Yeah, correct. So the third hangars were all the real golds at. So they have, you can go up into the planes and through the planes and such. So, and oh, in between the aircraft museum and the palace is a thousand seat beer garden. So just in case you're (laughs) thirsty, there's a place to stop. Now, again, if you're in the off peak season, that will be closed. It was in fact closed the day I was there, but in the summer, I'm sure it is quite busy. Okay. Well, and that does bring up the question. you been in a couple different seasons, when would you recommend going to Munich? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been in the summer and Mm -hmm. certainly everything is more open. So half the beer gardens in late September, early October are closed. Mm -hmm. The bigger beer gardens are open, especially the ones in the, I'll say the more popular areas. I'll get to another very popular one here. Mm -hmm. The one downtown was just jam-packed. The Hirsch Garden beer garden that seats 8,000 was basically closed. I ate at the restaurant itself. Hmm. So if you're going for the beer and you just want to sit out all night long in that part of the world that stays light pretty late, I would try to go in the summer. I'll be honest with you. I'm always a little relieved to get home from a trip and see that no one has broken into the house because that did happen to us once. It's one of the reasons why I can recommend a security system. Our sponsor today is Simply Safe Security Systems. If you've ever wanted to make your home safer, no better time than now, because this week our friends at Simply Safe are giving 40% off to listeners of Amateur Traveler off their award-winning security system. This is the system that was named the best security system of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. It has indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals. So especially if you're traveling, think about getting a home security system to give you a little more peace of mind while you're on the road. And right now, you can get the biggest discounts of the year. You can get a home security system starting at just over $100. No long-term contracts or commitments. Really easy way to start. Take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday sale and get 40% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com/amateur. Again, that's simplysafe.com/amateur for 40% off your entire system. Hurry cuz this sale ends soon. If you're going for Oktoberfest, and Chris, I was going for Oktoberfest again. However, they canceled it due to COVID, mm-hmm. but I said, "No, I'm still going. I got good flights." It is still a nice time, and the crowds are much lower. The last time I went for Oktoberfest, I, in fact, went to the King's Castles, and there were very low crowds. We didn't have to wait to get into the castles or Mm. anything. So from a crowd perspective, that Oktoberfest, that fall time frame, still pretty nice weather. It gets cool. Got to have a jacket. Both times are good. Pick your poison. Well, and the one thing we should clarify, when we talk about Oktoberfest, people would assume that that happens in October. Yeah, it's really the last week of September. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, not a, a, it's not a bad assumption. It just It's just not yeah. when they do it, I, and I don't know why. But 
They moved it up because it's better weather. Even they figured out, hey, let's do it when it's okay. better weather. Got it. It actually ends in October. I think this year it was going to yep. end in, in October 3rd. So it's that last week of September going into October. Well, and you mentioned getting down to Fusen to Med Ludwig's castles, uh, Neuschwanstein and Hohenschwango, and that's about an hour and 40 minutes away. So it, it can definitely be done as a day trip from Munich, or you could go down and Absolutely. spend a night down there. I think I read it's like 80 miles away or something like that. Yep. I think it's on the Romantischstrasse, the Romantic Highway, as I recall. The Romantic Road, yes. Yeah, yes. which which I... runs through that portion of Germany and then it continues mm-hmm. on north. I know it goes through Augsburg, but I don't quite remember the route of the Romantischstrasse. Yeah, it's kind of a diagonal up through Germany. Mm-hmm. Where to next? Fifth and last day, so kind of getting closer to downtown, back into to downtown, so... There is the Deutsches Museum, the German Technical Museum. So I would say, okay, let's do that. Really nice museum. It's one stop off Marienplatz, so it's really easy to get to. Again, I guess you got to like some technical stuff, Chris, and I guess I like some technical stuff. So just to give you an example of, of what they do offer there, they have electric power exhibits, marine navigation and oceanography, energy technology, pharmaceuticals aviation, microelectronics, computers, astronomy, just to name a few. And actually, one of my my favorite exhibits is their mining exhibit. Hmm. Germany's had a very long history of both salt mining and coal mining. And it kind of makes you start in the basement, so it makes you feel like you're in a mine. And they have really good mock-ups of being in a mine. And the entire museum has excellent dioramas. They have vintage machinery, vintage ships, vintage aircraft. One of my favorites as well, they have a submarine in the basement in one of the lower floors, and they basically cut the side out of it. They cut the shell, Hmm. and you can basically see the interior of the the submarine. Hmm. Interesting. So it shows you really how cramped those poor people had to live in a (laughs) in a submarine. Makes you feel for them because you got any claustrophobia, you weren't going in that little guy. There's also a glass blowing exhibit in this museum. And while I didn't do it, this would probably be an excellent place to get a souvenir. These are one of a kind, hand blown little. They did a lot of animals and elephants and monkeys and just things that would be neat to bring home to your family, to your kids, to your wife, among other glassware. I was a little worried that I might not get something so delicate home. Mm hmm. You mentioned that there was a submarine, not just a submarine, the first German submarine is in the Deutsches Museum, U-1. Oh, wow. Okay. That I did not realize. Mm-hmm. They really have some nice machinery and exhibits in there. There's no doubt. Hmm. So a great place for nerds like me is what you're saying. <laughs> I would think so, yes. <laughs> then, Chris, I would say you got to go to the English Garden. That is... Munich's Central Park, if you will. It is just north of the old town. You can take the metro, the U-Bahn up there, and you're probably going to have to walk 15 or 20 minutes to kind of get you into the heart of the park. Mm -hmm. And one of the places that I really like going, this I went there the time before, is there is the beer garden at the Chinese Pagoda. You know, Dan, I'm sensing a theme here. (laughs) (laughs) I told you I was a home brewer. This is a 
7,000-seat beer garden, Chris. Oh <laughs> so it, it doesn't hit the 8,000-seat. It's pretty hard to miss because you're going to hear the German band playing. They actually have their setup in the Chinese pagoda. It's an open-air pagoda, and they're kind of on Tier 1, so it really echoes throughout the park. So this place, even in October, was absolutely packed. It was a nice day, and I bet 6,000 people were there for the lunchtime and I bet 6,000 people were there for lunchtime. So mm. everybody was enjoying it because it was in the COVID time frame. This was Germans. This was locals. There were not a lot of tourists like myself there. Mm-hmm. And they were just having a good time. Lots of families out. And it's pretty impressive to watch the gentlemen carrying the steins of beer, the liters of beer. I think they could carry like nine or 10 of them at a time. I don't know how they were quite that strong. So it was pretty impressive, but they moved some serious beer. And Chris and all these beer gardens, they all have restaurants associated with them. Okay. So you can always get something to eat. You can get roasted chicken, a variety of pork type product, pork Mm -hmm. knuckles, sausages, French fries, all kinds of good German type food, spätzle, which is a German noodle. Mm -hmm. So All of these are associated with a restaurant. Well, and the signature sausage, as I mentioned earlier, for Munich tends to be the Weissfurst, the white sausage. Yes, I saw that. And I've ordered quite a few sausages. And I will say a lot of the sausages, especially if if you're getting ones that are 8 euros maybe versus 12 euros, Mm -hmm. they look a lot like a hot dog. (laughs) We would call them a hot dog, Chris. People in Munich call them sausages. So I did eat several of those on my trip. So that's how I would round out my last day. And I actually went to the English garden twice because it is so nice. And and that's a great beer garden with a a really fun and and lively scene. And I'm wondering if you saw when you were there, I've seen pictures of this and always thought it looked interesting. There is an artificial stream where people surf in the English garden. I don't know if you had a chance to see that when you were there. I did not. I think that's over on the riverside. So that would be all the way across. And this beer garden and kind of where I walked, I kind of walked the middle of the park itself. Okay. But that would be over on the river. Okay. Which is kind of opposite where you would come in just if you're coming in off the subway. Got it. Good to know. So just a couple more things, and then I think I'm good to go here. Just a couple other places to eat and maybe get a beer. Augustiner Keller is another very popular place, especially with the locals. It's very close to the main train station. It's, again, a beer garden and a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then Lowenbrau Keller is another much smaller beer garden and restaurant. But it's pretty picturesque as well. And then, Chris, yep, I'd like to say one thing about Oktoberfest for people that have not been. Uh, this is actually pretty important. So there is open seating at Oktoberfest from, I think it's 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. Okay. And then after 5 p.m., you have to have reservations. Oh, okay. So you will get kicked out at 5 (laughs) p.m. It's almost like a changing of the guard. Okay. So everybody gets kicked out at 5 p.m. They let all those people that are stumbling out, and they bring in all the sober people at 5 p.m., and they start over again. You have to be sitting down for them to serve you a beer. And that's why after 5 p.m., it's very hard to get a beer at Oktoberfest because the seats are full. Hmm. And it is in a fairgrounds, but they do not have like kiosks in the fairgrounds to serve you beer. So you have to be in a tent sitting down. Hmm. So if you're a tourist and you don't have reservations and most of the reservations are done by the February beforehand, 
Oh, as I'm sure you can appreciate, <laughs> pretty hard to get reservations. A lot of the pri- primary seating, I think, is taken by corporations anyways, from what I understand. Hmm. You need to go before 5, and I would say you probably need to get there by 11, because at lunchtime, it starts filling up, and probably after 2 p.m., you're not going to find a seat anyways. Hmm. Okay, good to know. So that ends my discussion on Munich. Excellent. A couple things to go back to. One is we sure. gave a couple references to the Wittelbox, who yes. a lot of people probably have never heard of. But <laughs> one thing that I wanted to say is you have heard of some of their descendants because the English royal family are descendants from the house of Wittelsbach through the house of Hanover because one of the princesses from Wittelsbach married into the House of Hanover, and basically the royal family is of the House of Hanover that brought over in the German kings, George I. And so they still have some influence today, or at least some of their descendants do. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. In terms of Munich, any warnings you would give? We so Let me dust off that old question. You really should know this before you go. You mentioned some for Oktoberfest. Yeah, probably that Oktoberfest warning, I think, is the biggest one because I was walking around at night, all around. It's a safe city. Learned the train system, the tram system. Uh I took a picture of the U-Bahn and the S-Bahn and put it in my phone, and that really helped me get around. I use public transportation the entire time. I use trams, metro, trains, and buses. Okay. If we go to some of our wrap-up questions, Dan... You're standing in the prettiest spot in Munich. Where are you standing and what are you looking at? Well, I'm probably not standing. I'm probably sitting, Chris, and I'm probably (laughs) in the Chinese pagoda beer garden in the English garden. I would have put money on the fact that you were in a beer garden. (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of the iconic spot in Munich. I mean, it makes you feel like only in Munich kind of thing, right? Except I got another answer for that, too. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. So only in Munich is a liter an acceptable measure for a beer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of liquid. Yeah, that, well, that'd be way too much beer for me, but, you know, even a cup of beer is way too much beer for me, so I'm really (laughs) not the one we should be judging here by. I'm your designated driver, let's just say that. (laughs) There you go. Well, and that's the great thing about the German mass transit system, right? I mean, somebody else is driving you, whether it's the guy on the subway or the guy on the train, someone else is driving you. So it's it's just wonderful in that respect. Well, it's funny. I remember being in Germany years ago, a couple decades ago, probably at this point. And I think I ordered a glass of Rhine wine, a small Mm -hmm. glass of wine. It's, It's smaller than the usual glass of wine you'd get when you go to a wine tasting room here or something like that. And then everybody with me was ordering large amounts of beer, and those were cheaper. <laughs> so like, that <laughs> yeah, is not exactly. fair. <laughs> Generally, Coca-Cola will cost you the same amount as a beer in Germany. Yep, yep. That's very common. Well, and, and sometimes I know the younger crowd in those warm summer months will have a beer and a lemonade combination or something like that. A Rattler. A Rattler. Yep. You were asking me about the different beer styles. Rattler was the other choice. Yep. I refused to drink a Rattler, so I didn't even think about it. <laughs> it's kind of a little bit like an Arnold Palmer a little uh, bit. in the U.S., but yeah. Excellent. And one thing that makes you laugh and say only in Munich. 
I'm going to give you the same answer. A liter is the acceptable measure for a beer. I'll tell you one thing. I'll answer my own question here. Okay. What do you find in the Munich airport that you won't find in other airports? I don't know. A brewery. <laughs> a brewery. <laughs> you could have guessed that, don't you think? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I, I could have. I was All I could think of was me running through it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Dan, if I asked you to summarize Munich in just three words, what three words are you going to use? I'm going to use fun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to use efficient. Okay. And I'm going to use beer. <laughs> Excellent. And our guest again has been Dan from the Zipping Around the World podcast at zippingaroundtheworld.com. And Dan, if people went over to your podcast, are they going to find more information about Germany or about Munich? They certainly will. I will have a series of podcasts out on my shenanigans during this trip. So it'll be a little bit more in depth and some of the things that I've done. So yes, they will have that. Excellent. So uh, we'll put a link to Dan's series in the show notes for this podcast, which you can also find in the lyrics of this episode. Dan, thanks so much for coming on back on Amateur Traveler and sharing with us your love for Munich. All right. Thanks so much, Chris. I'd like to take the opportunity to thank the patrons of the show who help support Amateur Traveler financially. I particularly appreciate it on weeks when we don't have any ads and I'm not making any revenue to offset all the time that I put into the show. But thanks to those who do participate and special thanks this week to Alexander Punch, who is our latest patron of the show. If you're interested in supporting Amateur Traveler, you can go to patreon.com slash amateur traveler. If you're interested in traveling with me sometime in the future, we've started the process of figuring out if we're going someplace in 2022. I've got a post on AmateurTraveler.com, or a poll rather, that is asking people, are they ready to travel? At the time of this recording, 45 people are saying yes and 5 are saying no. So we're starting to think about... The next question would be, if we go someplace, where would it be? We're probably talking about fall of 2022. So AmateurTraveler.com slash trips. And with that, we're going to end this episode of Amateur Traveler. If you have any questions, send an email to host at AmateurTraveler.com or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at AmateurTraveler.com. And thanks so much for listening. I got to see one more.